thank you so much for taking time to join us tonight. We're, um, we're just going to hear another in our series, uh, Christmas Unwrapped. Um, so far, um, as we've looked at this series, we've been kind of digging around at some of the traditions that we have uh, as people, some of the things that we do at Christmas, and maybe thinking what's um, behind them. So we've looked at, uh, with, with Matt Boyd, at the senses and all the smells and smells and bells and things that happen at Christmas. We've thought about the family with Joe, and we thought a little bit um, last Sunday about the gifts we exchange. And uh, this, um, yeah, this talk is about the manger, um, the religious baby. But I think it's really interesting, um, given um, that it is essentially, you know, a 2,000-year-old ancient Hebrew story, um, that we embrace it um, so warmly that we let it into our homes. And yet often we don't, we don't really know, uh, many of us often, exactly what it means and what it's all about. We've got sort of the, the decorations on the Christmas tree or the star up uh, and that kind of thing, but we don't always know exactly what it means. Um, the text that Jude read for us earlier on, whilst um, Matthew and Luke, if you read their nativity narratives, they'll give us all the details, um, all the things that happen at the birth of Jesus. John tells us uh, what those things mean. He takes time to tell us what they mean. Um, so I'm not going to preach right through that passage. It's a really cool passage, the real meaning of Christmas. I'm just going to preach really on one verse. And that verse is verse 14 from that text. And it's a little bit cryptic on first read. And uh, maybe like me, um, if you turn to a crossword that's a bit above your station. You look at it, you think, oh, crikey, I'm not going to bother with that. At first glance, it looks cryptic. Um, but take time to look at it and read it, and it soon becomes clear um, what the babe of the manger means. So verse 14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth the word the word it's a it's an abstract concept really as as john gives us in this introduction i think one of the things that he's saying is is primarily that god has spoken god has god has breathed um on the universe and in a sense one of the things he says is he's always spoken he spoke from the beginning but he speaks most resoundingly and most definitely and most strongly um, through Jesus. I think that people are most clearly revealed through their word, through their personal testimony about themselves. So uh, you can be coming along uh, to church for a long time and you can sort of see different people sat in the different seats and you can kind of build up a bit of an idea about who they who they are and, and what they like, you know, by how they dress and the mannerisms and all that kind of stuff. Then one Sunday, perhaps you'll end up sat next to one of these person one of these people, and you'll talk to them and you'll find out that uh, their favorite show is whatever it is, or their favorite music is whatever it is, or, you know, their favorite drink is whatever it is. And you'll get to really know them because of the, their testimony about themselves, their words about themselves. So we can see, we can gauge a lot uh, from what people look like, but but the way that we know them most is through them, their words about themselves. The message of Christmas is that God has made himself known through Jesus. The message of Christmas is that God has borne testimony about himself through Jesus. So John picks up 
on this concept. So the idea of word is comes from the Greek word logos. It's the idea of, and it's not just a Greek idea, it's an idea I think we still have to do, this idea of a pattern, a flow, a logic, a reason um, behind the universe, you know, the way things pull together. This is this is the idea that he's picking up on. It's an idea that's prevalent in Greek thinking of the time and it's prevalent with us today. And he says that that is Jesus. He says Jesus is before all things. He's holding all things together. He's creating all things. He's sustaining all things. There is order in all things um, because of Jesus. If this is true, if this is a truth, it makes his 33 years of life a critical analysis. It means that we've got to search it, we've got to look at it. So it means that um, when I'm taking the kids club, uh, the Sunday school classes and the kids, it's a bit of a range of the kids automatically put their hands up and say, it's Jesus before I've even finished the question. And you can't really ever say you're wrong because there's a, there's a truth that, that that is the answer. So when we look at his life, it becomes critical analysis. If it's true that God spoke and he spoke through Jesus. So when we see Jesus intervene in a, in a legal issue, when we see uh, the story in, I think it's John 8, where there is a woman and she's caught in adultery and she's th you know, thrown before an angry mob and they want to stone her. And we see uh, people trying to carry out justice in the way that they've understood to carry out justice. And we see Jesus intervene and say something like, let the person without any sin cast the first stone. And what we see about God is that God brings, uh, not just not just the kind of justice that we experience, but he, he points to a higher justice. He brings with him a higher justice, a better justice. It's revealed in Jesus. When we see Jesus telling really simple stories about lost sheep and children, that we think we can kind of just dismiss if it's the truth that that god speaks through him that that's his word what we realize that is that god looks for us intently he's he's desperate for us to find him he's desperate for us to see him when we see that he's chosen a cross then we realize that well we are loved understanding god's word is critical understanding god's word understanding how god speaks it's critical for us understanding how God saves, what salvation is. I think, especially today, people are looking for a reason. We are looking for a watertight, bulletproof essay as to why there is a God and how we can find him. This is what we're looking for. And this is what maybe our culture tells us where we will find the answer. And, and what I would say to you in this moment is, there are loads of them. There are many, many reasons for you to come to faith in God. But I don't think God primarily gives us reasons. Primarily, he gives us a person and he says to us, search the person. This is what salvation is. This is what faith is. It's not, um, it's not fingers crossed. Um, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not hanging on by a, by a thread kind of stuff it's searching into the character and person of Jesus looking hard at the stories about him exploring who he is seeing that there's truth in him digging around and getting to the bottom of him and finding nothing but truth finding nothing but goodness finding God that's what faith is so that's the word 
But of course, Christmas is not just about the word, is it? It's not just about the fact that the word came. It's that the word became flesh, verse 14. The word becomes flesh. The most significant story in human history. The biggest story that people have ever told each other. The biggest story that exists in our world is about a baby. You thought about that? It's about a baby. God becomes fleshy. Um, uh, so when we look into the root meaning of this word, there's a bit of, you know, you, you study around about it. Sometimes this word can be understood to mean sort of wrongdoing and things that we, we do wrong. There's another version of the word that, that means that. When, when we read this root word, it actually means physical flesh, sort of skin and bone stuff. God comes into the world and he makes himself soft, vulnerable, as vulnerable as a baby. Why does it matter? Why should I pay attention uh, to this story? Some moments in human history provide real insight into mankind's character. Um, about a hundred years ago, a very famous boat, boat, one of a ship, a ship, the Titanic, it sank. Um, and we see in that story a huge indicator of what human beings are like. There's all sorts of stories about bravado. There's all sorts of stories about um, the band carrying on singing and the stories about class and all this kind of stuff. What we know is that the boat hits an iceberg and the freezing cold Atlantic Ocean brings into sharp focus um, the reality of being a human being and have having flesh and the prospect of death and drowning. And in this story, in this historical story, people, mostly of means, scramble into lifeboats. So I did a bit of research. Apparently there's 18 lifeboats. These, these lifeboats, they weren't by any stretch of the imagination full. And they quickly left the scene as quickly as they could. They rode away to a safe distance. And just imagine the scene for a second. They row away. And the, there are the screams of the, the freezing cold, drowning um, passengers, people that they knew, uh, people that they'd been sailing with for a couple of days, and they row into the distance. And what we know is that they didn't rush back. In fact, what we know is that only two boats came back. Two boats. Can you imagine that? You know, hundreds, I don't know, maybe hundreds of thousand people drowning, freezing to death. And people that had managed to find rescue row away and stay away and only two go back and when they went back it was too late why because we don't like to be vulnerable because we're soft because we save our skin because we're fleshy the story of christmas is the idea that god had total security and he left it read with me what philippians 2 verse 5 said says have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and been found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you see what Jesus does? He leaves the security that he, he has. He leaves the boat. He hears uh, the screaming, drowning, dying passengers. 
And whereas we stay and we save our own skin, this is the story of Christmas. He comes back. He makes himself vulnerable, as vulnerable as a baby born in a manger when everybody's out to get him. And what does it mean? Why does it matter? Uh, so read with me a little bit, write a little bit of Hebrews 2. This is what it means uh, that Jesus comes as a baby. This is what the story of Christmas is all about. So it's a bit of a long reading, but just bump along with me. Hebrews 2, 14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he may break he may break the power of him who holds the power of death that's the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death for surely it's not angels he helps but abraham's descendants us listen to this verse verse 17 for this reason he had to be made like them fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to keep those who are being tempted. See what it means? It means that in the start of the passage, verse 14, 15, means that we've got no fear of death, that's what it says. But beyond that, I think, it means that as human beings, we have a high priest, not just a high priest who can look on and try and make some suggestions. We have a high priest who has been through everything that we've been through, who knows us, who understands exactly what it's like to be a human being. Um, one of the passages that we read out at Christmas is Isaiah 9. Um, one, of the, one of the frequent lines that we sing in Christmas carols is, is of Jesus coming in a messianic way and becoming a wonderful counselor. If you heard that line, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, the government are gonna be on his shoulders. What, what makes somebody fit to govern? What makes somebody a wonderful counselor? Have you ever had any therapy? You ever sat across the desk? What makes somebody a wonderful counselor? What qualifies them? Is it their listening uh, posture? Is, is, is it their price? Is it their coffee? Um, is it the, the, the seats? What makes somebody a wonderful counsellor? The best counsellors know what you've been through. The best counsellors know what you've been through. I was a bit ill last year. I was a bit poorly. Um, lost my way a little bit, you might say. And in that time, I had some amazing help I had some amazing friends. I had some amazing teaching. I had some amazing insight. I was given some great books. I had doctors sit me down and talk to me. But you know what the best care I got was? The best care, and this 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 was by a country mile, was from people who'd already been through it. People who could look me in the eye when I was pouring my heart out and say, I know what you mean. I know what you're going through. I've been through that. Christmas means God has been through it. So he's the best place for us to go. That's what Christmas means. God came and he's been through it and he's the best place for us to go. Are you skint? Have you spent all your money this Christmas and you're wondering what on earth you're going to do come January? He knows. He's been skint. Are you tired? How many people 
when you ask them how they are, will tell you that they're tired. Are you tired? Are you wrecked? Are you exhausted? He knows. Are you worried about your health? Are you fearing death? He knows. Are you feeling abandoned by God? Do you feel like God's forgotten about you and he's not there? What do we read about Jesus? He knows. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is the last bit. Kids, if you've um, if you've been watching along with your mum and dad on your own, brilliant. This is the last part of the sermon, so well done for getting this far through. Um, I'm sure your mum and dad are going to make you hot chocolates and all that kind of stuff for listening uh, so well, so good for you. This is the last point. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. If you read and do a bit of study on those last few words, the made his dwelling among us words, the, the, the original text says that God tabernacled with us. So that's the like the original language would say the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. It's the weirdest. I think it's verb verb slash noun. I think I think that's what it, what it is. Choice to describe Jesus's earthly stay imaginable. Jesus came and stayed with us like a tabernacle, like a big Jewish tent in the desert with rules. That's how he came to stay with us. That's that's how John chooses to describe Jesus coming to stay. And um, one of the things that I've learned. Um, with having the lovely Italian Matteo to stay with us over the last couple of months. I've become really conscious of my vocabulary. Um, and I've realized I use all sorts of weird words and phrases. And I especially use, and I think we do, I do, but we do. I think we use especially colorful language to describe our visits to places uh, because we want to stress um, the nature of the visit. We want to describe uh, what's going on when we go to a place. Um, so I caught myself as I sat in the car uh, with Matteo, who's an Italian student who's lived with us for the last little while. I said to him, I'm just popping to Asda. So popping was the, I think it's a verb. Popping was the the the, 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 the vocabulary that I used. And I saw in his eyes a little bit of confusion, this idea of, so we're going to go to Asda and we're going to pop. That's, what, that's what's going to happen. But that's not what was going to happen. I was trying to convey to him I was keen to convey to him that we weren't going to stay there long. This is a brief visit to Asda. This is why I chose the word popping. We're popping. I'm going to go and get one thing and then I'm going to leave. It's short and snappy. We're popping to Asda. And I explained that and he got he got, he got, got that. As soon as I got home from popping to Asda, my wife reminded me that my mother-in-law, and noticed the, the use of verb or adjective or whatever it is here, my mother-in-law is coming to stay. She's coming to stay with us. You notice how, how threatening and permanent that language sounds? She'd carefully pick this word stay to convey to me that this could be for a long time and I should get used to get used to this idea. And I wanted to say, she's not popping around. She's not just popping in. She's coming to stay. But she used this word carefully so I understood the nature of her visit. John says to us, it is crucial that we understand the nature of this visit, God's visit. What I would say to you is this, this really matters. If you're somebody who looks at religion, looks at religious people and is put off God, you know, looks at the church, looks at its practices, looks at its traditions, whatever, and is put off God, this is really critical for you. Or if you're somebody who's really become bound up in religion, if, if you are a very religious person, if you get by with your routine and traditions, understanding the nature of God's visit 
God's steer is critical. The tabernacle, in a nutshell. God wants to dwell with his people. He wants to be where his people are, but he is holy. And when I, when I say holy, I don't just mean like a good person. I mean, he is so holy that we can't be near him. There is a perfectness that exists. That means that mankind just explodes if it's around it. It can't cope with it. So the tabernacle comes into play. There are rules and process for God to dwell with his people. This is the story of the Old Testament. The tabernacle, there's, there's a way for human beings to connect with God. But the story of the Old Testament doesn't end there because this doesn't work. The people get burnt up. They can't cope with the rules. This is the story of the Old Testament. Not that we can stay with God but by rules, but by rules, we can't stay with him. Read Romans um, 2 verse 20. I think it's 2 verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. See what it says? Law is perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Jesus says that. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's perfect. But it doesn't mean that we can get it. It doesn't get us to God. We don't stay there because of it. What it proves in the Old Testament is just that we're sinful. Not because the rules aren't good. The rules are perfect. It's just that we can't keep them. It doesn't move us in our core to where we need to be. This is the heart of the Christmas story. This is what the Christmas story is all about. This is what Tabernacle is all, all about. God comes to us in such a soft, fleshy way. In such a human way, our hearts are moved. We can't get to him by the law. We burn up. We break it. We don't stay there. But in Christ, we stop trying to get there by our own means, realize that we can't, realize that God loves us. We see that in the story of Jesus and it's our hearts that are moved. And this thing, Christmas really looks so religious, is kind of a religious thing. The amazing story about Jesus and Christmas is that this religious thing actually becomes more about faith and a relationship and a heart that's moved. That's that's what the story of Christmas is. The word comes and it comes in such a way, such a soft, heart moving way. that People, again, are able to be near where to God is. Through faith in Jesus. That's it. That's the Christmas story. Um, let me just pray. Um, let me just pray. Let me just say, have a great Christmas. Thanks for partnering with us this year. Lovely to see you next year. Um, but let me just pray now. And then we'll have our last carol and then the service is done. Father God, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you. Uh, just as we consider it now, we know that as we look at Jesus, we see that you'll keep it. Um, we see that it, it bears testimony as to who you are and it points to a God who's good and who loves us. And we see in the babe of the manger your heart um, and we see something perfect, so perfect that our hearts are moved to. And we praise your name this Christmas and that, that because Jesus comes, we see God's love, God's love in a way that means that we can dwell with him, that we can have communion with him. And we, we praise your name and we thank you for Christmas and all that it means to us. In Jesus' name, amen.